David and Goliath, and we've heard about Esther, and we've heard about uh, Joseph and and others, and uh, this and Mary was my assignment a couple of weeks ago. And if I thought that Mary was a tough assignment in finding how Mary could be reckless, then my assignment today was even doubly so because in all of the scripture, there's not even one complete line about this young man. And so I studied very hard. Uh, this is a story of the miracle that Jesus did with the loaves and the fishes. And of course, the figure I'm talking about this morning is the young boy who who had a lunch there and who brought it to Jesus and Jesus was able to use it. Uh, bringing something to Jesus, whatever we have, and letting him use it and multiply it. And uh, so I was going to choose a scripture to follow. This is the only miracle in the Bible that is in all four of the Gospels. And uh, John is the only one in particular who mentions the little boy. Uh, everybody, the different disciples had their own take, the own things that stood out to them. And so I studied all, all four Gospels so I could get a more complete picture of what was actually going on and what happened in, in, those, uh, in those circumstances. First of all, so John 6 is where I've taken part of my sermon from. And, uh, but you'll get lost if you try to follow along, I'm afraid, because I go back and forth between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when we come into John 6, or when we enter into this story and, and the beginnings of this miracle, we find that Jesus and his disciples are extremely weary. Uh, they've just been having a long period of time where they're being mobbed by crowds trying to come after Jesus, see his miracles, listen to him speak. And that's a very tiring thing. And then they got the sad news that John the Baptist had been executed. Uh, John, you remember, was the kind that didn't always say what people wanted to hear. And he got thrown in prison and he was beheaded because they didn't like the message that he was bringing. Remember, he was the one that went ahead and told them that the Messiah was coming. And so on this sad news, because some of these disciples had originally been disciples of John, and now they were following Jesus, and they got this sad news. So as the, the John 6 starts, they're, we're finding them, and you can imagine that Jesus is weary and he's full of sorrow. And I found that very comforting to know that Jesus knew what weariness was and knew what sorrow was, how he identified with, with ordinary people in this way. So he said to his disciples, you know what, we got to get away a little bit. We need to find a place to go and get something to eat and, and have some rest. And so they got in the boat. That seemed the only way that they could escape the throngs. And they got in the boat and they began to row across uh, to the other side of the lake. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee, and when we think of a sea, we think of a mass, huge body of water, but uh, it wasn't so big that the people who saw them and they were headed across the lake immediately began to run and, and started making their way around the lake so that they could be there when he got to the other side. 
And on the way, of course, they mentioned it to people on the way that they were going to see Jesus, and people started coming out of some of the towns and so on. So when Jesus arrived with his disciples in Bethsaida, what happened was that they were there coming, waiting for him. And I don't know about you, I think I would have got back in the boat and tried another corner of the lake or something. But Jesus got out and he sat up on a hillside with his disciples and the people gathered around and and it said that Jesus knew. I believe that he knew what was going on in all of their lives right now, why they were coming, what it was that they were going through, what their circumstances were. And so it says he looked on them with compassion. And instead of turning them away and saying, you know, come back another day. This is my rest and relaxation time. Uh, please, you know, we need this time. He's, he, he, he was moved with compassion. And because he was moved with compassion, he let them come. So they were around listening to him and so on. And the Bible tells us that in, in the different Gospels, he shared with them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those that came that were sick. So he reached out to them at their point of their needs. He wants to do that today if we come to him. The day wore on. Got a little bit later in the afternoon and it seemed, and I can understand that if I was sitting to listening to Jesus, that nobody was anxious to leave. And... uh, The disciples began to think that probably because they were feeling hungry, that the people must be thinking that they're feeling hungry. So they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, send the people away because they're, they need to go down to the towns and they need to get fed. And, and, uh, and they didn't say it probably, but then we can have our supper too if that happens. And so Jesus is concerned about these things. He said, no, let them, let them say, don't, don't send them away. And so he calls the disciples together, and he addresses Philip. I looked through there. I'm not sure why he chose Philip, but he spoke to Philip. I mean, Judas was the treasurer. He would have had the money. Uh, And he says to uh, Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread? And you can just see Philip all of a sudden in a quandary and beginning to do mental arithmetic as he looks out over the crowd, and he, he sees 5,000 people, 5,000 men, probably women and children on top of that. And he's saying, okay, let me see, 5,000 people, uh, Bethsaida is not too far away. And they, he could have spoken to Philip because Philip was actually from the region of Bethsaida. And he probably knew a lot of the people that were there, maybe knew what was down in the town. But Philip knew that it was late in the day, and even if there were any convenience stores still open, Uh, There wouldn't be enough bread to be feeding all this crowd. And they figured out how much it would cost to feed them, and they realized what they had and said, you know what, Uh, it just doesn't compute. What we have here, if we were able to buy bread for everybody, uh, everybody might get one bite, if that, with what we've got, and I think only a half might do that. So they were in a quandary and a little bit confused. And the Bible says something very interesting says that Jesus was testing Philip. He already had in his mind what he was going to do, but he was testing him. And so we find that Philip just can't get these calculations to come, and the disciples talk amongst themselves. They say, it can't be done. 
It's something that can't be done. Send them away. And uh, But there's a little guy in the crowd. We're not told his name. But obviously, even the little children love to follow Jesus and listen to him speak. And uh, he had a lunch consisting of two small fish and five loaves, barley loaves. Now, what he had was food that his class of people, the poor people, would have been eating every day, barley loaves. Not something palatable necessarily because... Uh, that was what they fed the Roman soldiers for punishment. So, but it was what these people and what Jesus and his followers ate every day. And so, this little guy has a lunch. I'm not sure how Andrew came to find out this. I assume that the boys maybe overheard something and said, I have something you can have. Give it this to Jesus. Now, some people have said that this was his lunch. Others have said, that five loaves for a little boy, that's an awful lot. And they think that his parents, maybe needing the money, gave him these loaves and fishes to go and sell in the crowd so that he could bring home some money for them. And either way, either if this little boy gives up his lunch to Jesus, he's going to be without lunch himself, or he's not going to have any money to bring home to his folks. But it seems that these things never really crossed his mind. He just said, Jesus can have this. Now, how many of us would offer that? Because you'd think, like Philip, where is this going to go? What's going to happen to this? Maybe he thought Jesus would eat it. But uh, Andrew was obviously close by, and he brought this little boy to Jesus. And you know what? Andrew's not mentioned much in the scripture. He brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, And here he is again, bringing the little boy to Jesus. And if we don't think we've got anything else in talents or gifts or anything, we can all bring people to Jesus, as Andrew did. And when he brought this little boy to Jesus, Jesus was able to take this lunch, these two small fish and these five loaves, and he was able to multiply it. So he gave the instructions for the people to sit down and sit down in orderly companies so that everybody could get fed. Nobody would be crushing forward for food. And so everyone sat down, and Jesus lifted up this little lunch and and began to pray and thank God for it and ask the blessing on it. And then he began to break it. And the disciples were there, and and in those days in, in the Jewish culture, sometimes many of them carried baskets like some of us ladies would carry purses or something, something to put your stuff in. And so the disciples, this could have been the baskets that they had. And so uh, he just called them, and, and as he broke up this bread and put it in the baskets, the disciples distributed amongst the people. And this was an all-you-can-eat meal. Uh, they, they got all they could eat and more. It tells us that everyone ate anything that they could. Everything that they could, they ate. And the same happened with the fish, of course. And so um, everyone was satisfied. Everyone had more than they wanted. And there was leftovers. There was leftovers. I can remember alluding to this once before and saying, like, I, if it was me, I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have had it go right to the last morsel so it showed that I knew exactly how much everybody needed and wanted. And what I learned from that was that he's never the God of enough. He's the God of abundance. 
and there was leftovers here, and there was no waste. We live in North America where there's lots of waste. And Jesus said, gather this stuff up. Don't let there be any waste. I was down at Manhattan Beach Camp last weekend, and there was a group using the retreat facilities. And one of the ladies helping in the kitchen came to me after, and she said, Marilyn, I couldn't believe the waste. I couldn't. We have so much. And people take whether they need it or not, and they, they just throw it out and waste it. And this gives us a little lesson about not, not wasting what God provides for us. And little is much when God is in it, so it was multiplied. You see, when, when Philip began to give it some thought and he began to try doing his calculations and he looked at the circumstances, and as he looked at the circumstances, it was obvious that they couldn't do anything. But our solutions never add up in situations like this. See, we add, but Jesus multiplies. That's the difference. When we put what we have in his hands, no matter what it is, the world will point out our deficiencies. They'll always tell us where things aren't enough, aren't good enough, and so on. But Jesus takes what we have, and he multiplies it, and he uses it to bless others. And in this case, what he did was when he was given something, he broke it and gave it back, and the disciples became the distributors and blessed others with it. And we are like the disciples when we're faced like with a problem. We know that God has power. We know that. But it's all very abstract to us. And what we think that he can do when we're caught in the midst of a storm or we're caught in the midst of a circumstance and a crisis, we try our own resources. We try our own solutions to things, our own strategies. And it always ends up in a deficit position. And I want you to see something else in that particular thing. The Church of North America could learn a lesson from this because I think that there's a lot of preachers who would change that, taking uh, some ecclesiastical license or something to be able to do this and change some of the situations here. And some of them would preach, I'm sure, that when Jesus took that two little fish and those five barley loaves and lifted them up to heaven as he distributed it out. There was lobster and cheese biscuits. (laughs) Because the Church of North America today will teach you, so many will teach you, that Jesus wants you to have luxury and to be pampered. And that's not what Jesus teaches us here. No lobsters and cheese biscuits. This was barley loaves and bread but it was distributed around and it was enough and the people went home satisfied. Why didn't Philip pass this test? Maybe we look at it and we think, well, it's a little unfair. How could Philip have known what to do? But Philip wasn't ignorant of some facts. Philip was at the marriage at Cana of Galilee when they ran out of wine. And there was a big concern and Jesus was there and He said, fill the water pots with water. And so they were filled up, and Jesus did his very first miracle, and he changed the water into wine. And there was enough for everybody. Or perhaps they forgot about when they were out in the boats and they didn't catch any fish. 
And Jesus had come along and said, let down your nets over here. And so they said, but we've toiled all night and there's been nothing. And Jesus says, never mind, put down your nets over here. And they did, and they caught so many fish, the boat began to sink. Jesus can provide. He's able to do it. They saw it with their own eyes, but when they got into their own circumstances, things changed and they began to try and work it out with their own type of arithmetic and their own kind of solutions. Many of us know the Bibles. We know stories of how God worked in the lives of his children. We don't understand that it's just as relevant for us today as it was back then. They could simply have said, it's not possible for us, Jesus, but you tell us what you want us to do, and we'll do it because we know that nothing is impossible with you. Philip's arithmetic, like I said, just didn't add up. I want you to understand this principle of multiplication. And I've told part of this story before, but it's an ongoing story, so I want you just to bear with me, please. In 19, I mean in 2004 in February, The Passion of the Christ was released here in Winnipeg at Silver City. Kids Club wanted to send some of the parents that, uh, that their kids came to Kids Club. And so we came to you and we said, are there people here who would be willing to buy a ticket for somebody to go? And we got 26 tickets and we began to phone and people grabbed up the tickets quickly uh, or the opportunity to go. We had the tickets and uh, there was a host of people involved in that. There was uh, the people who gave, bought the tickets. There was uh, Jerry Bork offered to drive the bus to take them to the Silver City. Uh, Shauna and Dennis came to help answer questions afterwards, if anybody had questions, along with uh, Curtis and Anna. And uh, Ali Brigado got a crew of the kids' club leaders together to watch the kids here at the church so the parents could go and stayed with them here at the church and did some things at the church, got them doing little concerts. When the parents came back, the kids got up here and did some singing and stuff for them. And uh, Carolyn Massapella made lasagnas for everybody, so it was dinner and a movie that day. And uh, that morning early, she went to the army base where she worked, and she baked bread fresh for garlic bread. I shouldn't say this. She'll want to be going home for lunch. <laughs> and uh, when the people came back, Shauna and Dennis and Anna and Curtis were there to listen to the questions and to try and help answer the questions. And everybody enjoyed Carolyn's great cooking skills over supper afterwards. We invited the people to come to Alpha coming up shortly after that. And everyone was enthusiastic, but no one came. September came and Roundup. 400 to 500 kids and parents showed up. The parking lot was set up in a carnival-type fashion, manned by an army of volunteers. The church footed the bill for the bouncers, and one of our church families every year donates the cost of ponies for pony rides. Louise Cooney was setting up everybody to do the cooking for 
hot dogs and so on. And in those days, people brought wieners and buns and everything for hot dogs to be given out. And everything was free to the community. Now Brian Banks goes to Safeway and Sobeys and Weston's Bakeries and McDonald's and everything is donated free. And so the people are able to come and, and have a great time. Under the canopy set up by Tim and a crew, people could sit and have coffee or a drink and their donut and their hot dogs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry there's no donuts. <laughs> Brian, would you look into that? Okay. When we were offering the tickets, a young mother called and asked if uh, she said she'd like to come. And she said, could I bring my mother with me? And we said, sure, you could do that. And then she called back and she said, uh, could I bring my aunt with me too? And I said, well, it's supposed to be those living under the same roof. She said, well, she does live with us. I said, okay, she can come too. And so they were amongst the ones that were there. And, uh, I noticed the two, they're twins, the, the grandmother, the mother and the, and the aunt. And they were twins. And they were uh, sitting there having coffee. So I made my way over to them and sat with them. And we chatted and I said, you were going to come to Alpha at the church. And you didn't show up. And we've got another Alpha coming up in a few weeks. Will you come? And they said yes. And they did. And when they came, they learned that God loved them and that Jesus died to pay for their sins. And both of them gave their hearts to Jesus. Many of you remember Mona and Monica. Monica is part of our church family. Mona was very active here until she decided that she was going to go down to Thunder Bay and live with her daughter down there to a sister daughter who's going through some things. And while she was down there in her late 40s, she passed away. And the funeral was here in the church. And what a thrill to be able to say that we knew that she was in heaven with Jesus. Monica lives at the end of Flint and McDermott. And she helps us on our kids' club bus now. And every week, she loads up kids from her area and brings them to Kids Club because she wants them to know about Jesus. And the little boy, whose mom faithfully brought him to the bus every week to make sure he got to Kids Club, he was number three in the puppet this morning. He's 11 now. He was... Six back then. And he's going to be in one of the puppet teams this year at Kids Club. And now he brings his little brother on the bus. And is there another one coming this year, Tanya? Mom's here this morning. Her little, her, her next one is Kids Club age. And he's going to be coming this year on the bus. All because people babysat, people cooked, people volunteered, people donated. Different skills and talents, but recklessly and freely given. You know, with Philip, we're tempted to take out our paper and pencil and say, wait a minute, all that money, all that time for such a few people, 
Look what it costs for the bus. Look what it costs to rent bouncers and ponies. Look at spending a couple of hours in the sun on a Saturday afternoon when we could be doing other things. Look what it costs to feed people every week at Alpha. Cost too much. Send them away. But we, like the disciples, need to understand Christ's arithmetic. Their faith was diminished because they were looking only at human helplessness instead of at divine resources. I need to hurry on because this miracle we read about was really only an object lesson for the real sermon that was Jesus was about to preach. You see that he fed them until they were full. They were full, they were satisfied, and they went home that way, but they woke up hungry the next morning. I don't know about you people, but I'll eat a big meal one night and I'll say, that's it, I'm never eating again. (laughs) And the next morning, I'm at the refrigerator seeing what there is for breakfast. And that's what happens with these people. They're fed, they're given more than enough, leftovers even. But they woke up empty in the morning. And that's because... These types of things, they fill our physical body, but they don't meet the real need that we have, and that's the need of our soul, hungry souls. And the people looked for Jesus the next morning, and they tried to find him, and and they learned he went across the lake again, and they they went back over to Capernaum, and they were watching, and, and they saw him, and they went over to him, and he saw them again. And just like before, he could see the thoughts and intents of their hearts. And instead of seeing the need to come and listen to him and, and have their, their soul satisfied as they heard about the kingdom of God and so on, we know because he says right in there, I tell you the truth, he says to them, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They came because they were looking for something to satisfy their daily sustenance. Nothing of the spirit. That's what they were used to. They were under Roman rule. The Romans held 93 days a year of public food and entertainment. Circuses and games. To try to be popular with the people and keep them happy. But every morning they woke up hungry. And Jesus, knowing the emptiness and hunger of their souls, declares this, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger again. And how are people drawn to the Savior? Through the teaching of the word. All of our efforts to entertain and all of our efforts to feed and all of these things are are secondary It's the teaching of the word, and as people hear the word that Jesus has to say, hear the word of God, that's what's going to draw them to the Savior. And all of the money we put into it, if we're not giving them the bread of life, we're cheating them. They're going to go away. And we know that because these people that Jesus spoke to here, they turned and walked away because they didn't like the message. He wasn't giving them what they wanted. All of us are empty until we taste and see that the Lord is good. People try to fill this emptiness with the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
the good. You can try and fill emptiness of your soul with higher education, with family relationships, friends, jobs, good things, necessary things. But if they're what we're relying upon to keep ourselves satisfied day to day, we're going to be going to bed satisfied for that day, but waking up hungry again. And then there's the bad things like the love of money. Addictions to soft, they call it soft addictions like shopping or food or the ugly addictions of alcohol and drugs and gambling and sex and pornography. And none of these things satisfy for very long. Only Jesus keeps and satisfies. He's the only one. And Christians, this is the hard part for me because I'm talking to you this morning as well as to those who are not Christians. If you're not daily feeding on the bread of life, you're going to look somewhere else to satisfy your desires. And before long, coldness begins to set in. And the things of Christ take a back burner. We might still come to church every Sunday or not. Might be involved in something in the church or not. But if the truth were told, and Jesus knows this morning, we wake up every morning spiritually empty. People are happy to partake of physical bread, but they do not and would not receive Jesus as the living bread. One commentator has said that they wanted the food, but they did not want the truth. Jesus is the bread of life, and only he can satisfy the spiritual hunger of a person's heart. I mentioned the possibility of us questioning the money spent on things like Kids Club and Alpha and Roundup and other things. It's a lot of money and time and resources for such a few people. What about all the rest of the people on the lot that went home or the other people that had tickets to the Passion and never came back to Alpha? What about, what about that? Well, why should we expect better results than Jesus got? When he actually faced people with the truth, they turned and walked away. He said, it's too hard. They were followers. Do you fit into that category this morning? Do you hear the truth? No, it's the truth because you feel something in your heart. But you think, no, it's going to be too hard. And so you, you'll turn and walk away from it. Or is your response like Peter's when the Lord asked the twelve if they would desert him also? And Peter answered, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. What about you? Do you understand this? Do you get it? Jesus came to satisfy the longings of your heart. And yes, there are things that are exciting and things that seem to satisfy for a bit, but if you're honest, you'll admit that in your relationship with the Lord, things are not where they should be. And even Christians turn and walk away from it because it's just too hard. 
I used Kids Club and Alpha and Roundup and so on this morning because those are areas I particularly work in. But you young people that were just away in Mexico didn't add up, did it? Few of you going down there, coming back with a report of 50-something saved, not even counting the DVBS kids. That's God's multiplication. Barry, would you come with your team? I want to challenge you this morning, people. This message has spoken to me so, so deeply. And I've prayed. Actually, I learned something from this lesson myself. I had to come to the place after studying and looking at commentaries and doing all the things that I do. I had to come to the place where I said, Lord, you've given me the opportunity. Now I'm going to give it back to you. And I'm just going to trust that you're going to distribute it and bless people and speak to people's hearts. Because people listen. We live in a day where there is so much around us, so much to get your attention and so on, so much to take you away from the things that God wants for you. And you are fooling yourself if you think these things satisfy for any length of time. You will wake up and you will find yourself empty And if God seems far away, guess who moved? Not him. And he's here this morning and he is speaking to hearts. And I know that here this morning. I know that this morning. That he is speaking to hearts, Christians, non-Christians. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to come to him this morning. I want you to know that he is the only one that will ever satisfy the longings of your heart. You will find yourself waking up and you have to work at it. You go to him every day and you feed on his word and you commune with him and you get to know him better and you find out that he's sufficient for every need that you have. And if you're a Christian and you just find yourself getting further and further away, oh, you come to church. But you know, you know that you need more. You know that you've got a desire for more of him. You're trying like others to fill it with all sorts of other things, even activities in the church and so on. Won't cut it. Only Jesus satisfies. And the the worship team is going to sing a song this morning. I ask you to stand and listen to the words. And I, I just pray that you will make a commitment to get back to where you should be. And if there's anybody here this morning that needs Jesus, you've never given your heart to him, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to come down here. I'm going to ask you to come down here this morning. Oh, that's hard, you say, and you turn away. Don't turn away. If you need Jesus this morning, please come and help us to introduce you to him. He's the bread of life. You come to him, you will never hunger again. Sing.